Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Barbara Faye Carr Villarreal was born the youngest of four kids on December 23, 1958, in Peru, Indiana, and grew up in nearby 12 Mile to a large, tight-knit family. On February 25, 1979, 20-year-old Barbara married Domingo Diaz Villarreal. By the age of 27, she was working in the accounting department of DeGaulier and McNaughton in Dallas, Texas, and she and Domingo lived in the 3600 block of Colbath Street in Garland, Texas. Her closest friend, Lisa Nugent, described Barbara as sweet, kind, smart, and an all-around great friend. On November 7, 1986, Domingo returned home and discovered Barbara in the rear of the home stabbed to death with a large kitchen knife that was found lying nearby. At 8.52 p.m., he asked a neighbor to call the police, indicating something was wrong with Barbara. Emergency services quickly arrived, but sadly, she was pronounced dead at 9.50 p.m. However, it was later released that she had actually been dead for more than an hour before being pronounced dead. A medical examiner would find multiple wounds all over her body and rule her death a homicide. Suspicions quickly fell on Domingo, and he was subsequently arrested for the murder of his wife. However, it wasn't long before he was cleared as a suspect and released. DNA was then collected from the crime scene, but it would be 37 years before it would lead to her killer. Later, the DNA evidence was entered into the CODIS database, but there were no matches. Eventually, using advancements in DNA technology, investigators were able to hone in on an 86-year-old man by the name of Liboya Canales, who moved to Mexico shortly after Barbara's murder. They would also discover a secret about Barbara's husband. Domingo Villarreal wasn't his real name. Instead, it was Jesus Canales, Limbarillo's brother. On July 18, 2023, Limbarillo was arrested in Lovington, New Mexico, not long after he crossed the Mexico border to celebrate his birthday with family members. During questioning, he confessed to the murder and revealed that it stemmed from a long-standing family dispute. Barbara's family is thankful for some long-awaited answers and are now just waiting for Liberio to be extradited back to Dallas so justice can finally be served. Kathy Sue Swartz was born in 1969 in Three Rivers, Michigan. She was described as sweet and caring and also a tomboy who loved hunting with her dad. At the age of 19, Kathy lived at Riverside Apartments on East Hoffman Street in Three Rivers, Michigan, with her 18-year-old fiancé, Mike Warner, and nine-month-old daughter, and they were making plans to marry in June of 1989. However, the wedding would never take place. 
On December 2, 1988, Mike returned home from work to find Kathy brutally murdered on their bedroom floor and her daughter in her crib unharmed. Kathy's killer had broken into the apartment, beat and sexually assaulted her before strangling and stabbing her to death. Strangely, Kathy's blood was found intentionally spread around the apartment. There were multiple messages in blood, but one in particular on the refrigerator read, I was here. Investigators were also able to recover fingerprints and footprints from the scene. In the days after the killing, Mike gave police the name of a potential suspect, he and Kathy's childhood friend, Robert Waters. While they had grown apart over the years, he met up with Waters in 1988 while he was visiting the Three Rivers area. He then invited him over to his and Kathy's apartment about a month before the killing, and they all hung out for a few hours. However, he lived in South Carolina, so the police never questioned him. They then looked at an ex-boyfriend of Kathy's named Troy Daniel Schultes. 20-year-old Troy was then arrested and charged with first-degree murder. However, by December 8, the police had determined he wasn't involved, but still held him in jail for another six days. After the charges were dismissed and he was released, he sued the city, contending he was improperly searched, arrested, and wrongfully imprisoned. Over the years, a number of suspects emerged, including a female person of interest. While the woman was never officially named as a suspect, she was believed to have important information relating to it. Unfortunately, over time, leads dried up and the case went cold. Finally, in 2022, 35 years after her murder, Othram generated a DNA profile and their in-house genealogical team was able to narrow the list of suspects down to four brothers. A profile for the killer was also generated by the FBI and suggested that the killer lived in the general area and may have known the victim. One of those brothers was Robert Waters. When detectives went to question 53-year-old Robert, he was still living in South Carolina and refused to talk. But they were able to obtain his DNA and test it against the DNA found at Kathy's murder scene, and lo and behold, it was a perfect match. On April 30th, police arrested Waters in Beaufort, South Carolina. Unfortunately, on May 6, less than a week after his arrest, Waters took his own life in his jail cell. Joyce Lucille Mercer Casper was born on December 1, 1921, in Viola, Idaho. At the age of 65, Joyce lived in Boise and owned a Hallmark store in the Vista Village Shopping Center, where she often worked late-night hours. Those who knew her described her as vibrant and said her family and the community absolutely adored her. However, on October 13, 1987, tragedy would strike when she was discovered dead in her car near Day Drive and Roberts Street, around 800 feet from her store. Her purse had been emptied and a credit card was missing. It was later determined that she had been abducted outside her shop in the early morning hours and then was sexually assaulted and murdered. Thankfully, male DNA was collected and preserved from the crime scene. During the initial investigation, detectives discovered a report made by Joyce weeks before her murder. She had described that a man about 17 to 25 years old with slicked back black hair had entered her store and tried to assault her but ran off. 
Despite a description, the case would sadly go unsolved for the next 36 years. Over the years, police investigated 150 suspects and uploaded the DNA to the CODIS database, but there were no matches. In 2017, police sent the DNA evidence over to Pierbon Nano Labs, who were able to create a profile of the suspect. They determined the suspect was a Latino man with brown or black hair and brown or hazel eyes. However, they were still unable to identify a suspect. In 2019, a different detective assumed responsibility for the case and collaborated with Identifinders International. Together with other detectives across the United States, they conducted interviews, located potential suspects, and collected DNA swabs. With the use of genetic genealogy, the detective was able to zero in on one family tree and began interviewing people. He had to be very meticulous because there were multiple potential suspects from the family tree and they didn't want to accidentally tip off the actual killer. Finally, after speaking with multiple relatives, they learned of a half-brother that lived in Idaho. Investigators then located the man's children and his former wife, who had since moved to California. Unfortunately, his sons were homeless in Los Angeles, making it more difficult to track them down. But eventually, their hard work paid off and they were able to obtain DNA samples from inside a Starbucks. The samples were then sent to identifinders who confirmed the DNA belonged to the children of Joyce's killer, Frank Rodriguez. Frank was born in Hartford, Connecticut in 1970 and would have been around 17 at the time of the murder. In the mid-1980s, he left Connecticut and moved with his family to Boise, Idaho. Sadly, he would never face justice because he died in 2007. Regardless, Joyce's children are relieved to finally have some long-awaited closure. Laura Kempton was born on July 3, 1958. At the age of 23, Laura lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire and attended Portsmouth Beauty School. She also worked at a gift shop called Marco Polo in Karen's Ice Cream Parlor. Laura was described as an outgoing, free spirit with a big personality and had a love for new wave fashion. On the morning of September 28, 1981, a police officer went to her apartment at 20 Chapel Street to serve a court summons for several unpaid parking violations. When he arrived, he found the door broken open and proceeded inside. That's when he found Laura's body bound with an electrical cord and a phone cord wrapped around her neck. An autopsy determined that she had been sexually assaulted and died from blunt force trauma. It's believed that a glass bottle found at the scene was likely the murder weapon. Laura was last seen alive earlier that morning, returning to her apartment alone after a night out with a friend at a local watering hole called the Ranger Club. Sadly, with no solid leads, the case would go unsolved for the next 40 years. A year later, in 1982, evidence collected at the scene, including a cigarette butt, a pillow, and the glass bottle, was tested and revealed male DNA. Then, in 2022, the DNA was sent off for genetic genealogy, and by July 2023, they had their suspect, Ronnie James Lee. In 1981, 21-year-old Ronnie worked as a security officer and died in 2005 from a drug overdose. 
Before that, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and was discharged on May 15, 1981, four months before Laura's murder. He then worked for MBI Security at Liberty Mutual in Portsmouth from June 1981 to August 1982. In 1987, he was convicted of burglary and sexual assault and was incarcerated from December 1987 to July 1990. He's also the suspect in the murder of 20-year-old Tammy Little, who was murdered a year after Laura and also attended the Portsmouth Beauty School. Todd Neal Lampley was born on March 25, 1979. At the age of 31, Todd lived in a duplex at 42 Fresh Holes Road in Hyannis, Massachusetts, and was the father of two daughters. On February 27, 2011, around 10 p.m., Todd was shot and killed through his bedroom window. When the police investigated the crime scene, they discovered three shell casings, a black cell phone, and a sweet potato with a hole in it. Authorities believe the sweet potato had been used as a silencer. On the night of the shooting, Todd's girlfriend, his girlfriend's mother, and another man were at his duplex. The man and Todd were watching TV in his bedroom when the man received a phone call and stepped out of the room. That's when he heard gunshots and rushed back in to find Todd dying from multiple gunshot wounds. 911 was called, but Todd was pronounced dead at the scene. When he turned over his cell phone to authorities, they determined the call records didn't match his story. There were several incoming and outgoing calls deleted from the phone that were made to Devaris Hampton before and after Todd died. In mid-March 2011, someone found a gun in a nearby pond. Since it still had bullets in it, police were able to identify it as the gun used in Todd's murder. Also, Hampton was actually wearing a GPS tracking device due to another crime in 2008 that he was involved in. When police tracked his location, they confirmed he was at the house at the time of the murder and they could place him at the pond where the gun was found. However, even with this information, it would still take another 12 years before he was arrested. Meanwhile, in 2016, authorities got a DNA sample from Hampton without his knowledge. They also still had the sweet potato found at the crime scene and tested it against Hampton's DNA and it was a match. On February 27, 2023, Hampton was arrested and charged with Todd's murder. Investigators believe Hampton may have gotten the idea to use the sweet potato as a silencer from the HBO hit show The Wire. Also, the black cell phone found along with the sweet potato was registered to the name Marlo Stanfield, who was a fictional character on the show. Authorities have never been able to determine Hampton's motive in the murder, However, during a 2010 trial, Hampton implicated Todd in the 2007 shooting death of 18-year-old Jacques Sellers on General Patton Drive in Hyannis. He told jurors that Todd played a role in the fatal shooting of Jacques on July 18, 2007. Interestingly, Jacques was shot through a window from the outside of a home, just like Todd was. However, Todd denied any involvement and was never charged. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. 
As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.